Welcome to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast, where we look inside the mind of seven-figure entrepreneurs to see how they amplify their business and amplify their life. Let's welcome today's guest. Today's guest is the creator of the Employee to Entrepreneur System, which teaches people to leave their jobs and start their own six-figure-plus business. She's helped thousands of students grow to six figures and scale from six to seven figures. Her advice has been featured in Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur and more. Please give a very warm welcome to Louisa Joe. How are you doing, Louisa? (laughs) Thanks for that amazing welcome. I'm excited to be here. I'm so so excited to have you on the show. Now, listen, a, a lot of people struggle to even get past that five figure mark in the first year in business and you you went a little bit further than that. Tell me how how were you able to scale to one point one million in sales in your first year of business? Yeah, so it was incredible focus. I focused on one offer. I focused on really mastering how to deliver that, understanding my audience, how to communicate the value of the offer to them, and becoming known for that. I focused on mastering one traffic source. So for me, that was Facebook ads. I really learned how to master running ads, driving lower cost per lead, finding the right people really having that. And then an amazing sales strategy. I specifically used launches to really scale from my first launch was $8,000. My second launch did 101,000. And then my third one did 800,000. So that alone made up the majority of that first 1.1 million in the first year. Is that just because you, you knew the numbers well enough? So after pretty much honestly I mean it, it like obviously it was work um but it really came down to knowing okay I've got this proven thing strategy offer audience I did it this time I did it this time and how big can we scale it the third time so to talk me through that that third one because you know we, we work with a lot of clients in the seven figure range and we, we see when it gets into launch mode, especially it's like maxing out the credit cards and everything just so we can spend enough. So obviously to get to 800,000 in sales, you're going to have to spend a lot more on ads. So how, how do you, how do you go about that from both a, a mindset perspective to get, like give yourself that confidence? Cause there is a mindset shift there and also Absolutely. from a physical standpoint. Oh my gosh. Yes. So my previous launch before that, I'd spent about $10,000 to drive a $101,000 sale. So uh, I knew that I would probably see about an eight to 10 to one ROI for every dollar I spent. So my goal was actually to have a million dollar launch. And based on the numbers, I realized I would need to spend about $80,000. Now at that point in my business, I think I'd only made total maybe like 200 something thousand. So 80,000 was a big chunk of that. And I definitely felt really scared about it. So what I did, I'm super risk averse. And when I say that people don't believe me, but you'll understand in a second, I thought, okay, what is, I'm going to plan for the best case scenario, of course, but I'm also going to have a backup and not rely on that happening just in case everything fails. And so I thought, okay, what is the uh, highest amount I would be able to spend and have the launch totally flop and still be okay? Like not happy, but okay. And for me, that number ended up being $30,000. I don't remember exactly what it was. Maybe it was the limit on my credit card, honestly. Maybe it was like cash I had set aside for it. It was something like that. Just like it felt like, okay, it's a stretch, but I'll be okay if I spend it and nothing happens. And so I spent that 
right before my launch, leading up to my launch trigger, which was a live challenge. And then I did the challenge and I opened my enrollment. And the day of open enrollment, we drove over $100,000 in sales. So I was like, okay, all right, this is, this, is, this is good. And then I told myself, okay, if I don't make a single sale and everything flops for the rest of the launch and I spend $80,000, at least I'll break even. And that's how I was able to really find the confidence to spend the rest of that budget to try and drive to the million dollar launch. And what I also did was I created a longer launch time frame to again, minimize my risk. So I did, uh, I believe about a four to five week cart open period. And each week I did a new webinar on some aspect of my program. And each week I drove ads in decreasing amounts. So I think the first webinar, maybe $20,000, maybe the second webinar, 10,000 and so on and so forth through that. So that again, I was mitigating my risk and over that, that allowed me to spread the spend over like, like four to five weeks really see sales come in each time and relatively quickly to tell me if it was going well and I was going to drive a profit or not. And that is really how I handled it both mentally and strategically. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I don't, I don't think unless you're in one of those situations, people realize that the amount of inner turmoil you have to go through at that point. So, so much. It, it's interesting what you say about the, how you did a longer launch cycle as well. So Talk, talk me through that that second half of that because like did, did you plan to go and get hey let's let's see if we can break 100k in the first week or were you like well, let's just see what happens and then we'll, we'll work with what we've got to work with so I knew I was going to have a longer launch cycle I knew it was going to be about four to five weeks and I knew the structure I knew what I was going to do but I did and I knew I was aiming for a million dollars in sales but I did not know how it would pan out because as you know every launch is a little bit different and so I didn't want to you know set myself up to expect a big card open and then have it flop and just completely screw myself over mentally so I said okay let me just try my best be in the best mindset possible and see what happens now because the $100,000 on the first day came through, I was able to continue going, but I was prepared. I was like, okay, if things don't go well, I don't make a ton of sales. I just break even. I'll probably half my ad spend. You know, if I break even on the first day, I'll half my the remaining ad spend. Uh, if I don't make any sales, I'll probably stop spending <laughs> and really evaluate what's going on. And so I did have backup plans, but it was more about worst case scenario versus best case scenario. Mm, yes. It's fascinating, like like I say, I've I've been in a lot of those, and uh, like there's a lot of lot of interesting stuff that goes on to make that happen. So let let's talk about team a little bit now. When you get to some figures, those those roles change. You're not so much the owner operator; you start to become the visionary, the thought leader, and you need a team behind you. Otherwise, you're just going to get burnt out. So you run a very lean team, right, for your seven figure business. I do. In your words, badass team. Uh, so, so how do you keep that team lean at scale? Yeah. So there are a few things that I do. The first is I hire specifically for the type of business that I have. And what I mean is the term I use is B plus players. Everyone on my team is actually technically an A plus player by the traditional definition of the term. But what I mean by B plus is someone who is very self-driven, who is very on top of their work, doesn't need follow-up or micromanaging, but they're not looking to be in the spotlight. They are happy to have a great income. 
they are happy to do the work, really fulfilling work that they enjoy. And then they want to go and just live their life. And so they're not looking for like the, the title of, oh, I'm God, my gosh, I'm the VP of this big fancy corporation or things like that. They know I'm making great money. I'm loving everything and I'm good. And so I hire specifically for that type of person with the type of role that uh, I have. And so with that, the other thing that I do is I'm very specific about the different functions that we have to support. And there's, there's great communication between everybody because the lines are so clean cut. So for example, um, just thinking off the top of my head, right, I have an operations manager who handles whoever sees our customer support and our tech. So Infusionsoft, of course, membership site, all of that. I have a paid ads manager. I have someone who manages our blog. I have someone who manages our YouTube content. I have a social media manager. But the thing is, they're very specific things that they know they need to do for success. And that's it. At this point, we've really refined that. So it's not like, okay, you just sit around all day. You have to kind of fill up the time. It's okay, we've done this, that's success. If we haven't, then we need to evaluate what's going on. So it's very clear cut. People get to do their stuff and then move on with their lives, work with other clients or just enjoy life. And so with that, right, there's not too much ego. Everyone has a shared purpose and there's, there's no overwhelm or lack of clarity. Mm. I, so when you talk about everyone, it's very clear cut what everyone needs to do. So as regards, is that like having very specific KPIs? And so for example, in our company, we've got like roles and responsibilities, document roles, responsibilities, results, uh, expectations, all those kind of things. Um, is that sim similar with yours? Have you got like one or two KPIs for each person, like that are their critical numbers? Yeah, so the way I think about it is it depends on the role, right? So for example, for customer support, our, um, our metric for success is essentially get that response out within 24 business hours. And so we technically say give us 48 business hours to our customers, but within 24 business hours. If you have that, you have a great customer satisfaction response, then okay, you're great. With the blog, for example, then we have monthly growth rates that we are looking to hit. And if we're hitting it, great. If not, okay, what's going on? Uh, with some of my other team members, the metrics are different. So some are results-driven, some are task-driven. For example, with my designer, right? It's not like I'm looking at the designs that we have on our website to drive a certain conversion. Obviously, we're looking overall at how our website is converting, but that's not her specific role. So her role is, okay, are we creating this new update? Are we rolling out these new social media templates? Get getting it done and by the state. So it it differs. It depends on the role, but the principle is yes, absolutely the same. Mm. And as regards those, you say about B plus players rather than A players who don't want to be in the limelight. How, how do you how do you build a then culture that that helps those people grow within in the company, especially as B plus players, right? Because A players like go, well, I want to do it my way. Um, this is the way I would rather than I, so I understand exactly where you're coming from and I, I hire in the same way people can be nurtured so tell me about that I think it really comes down to communication and setting the expectation and then also your nonverbal communication so a lot of I'm thinking pretty much everyone on my team at this point has been with me for anywhere from three to five to even six years and so Sometimes a lot of that is, of course, you have to hire the right person, set the expectations in the beginning, but a lot of this comes through time and just nurturing that relationship. So 
at this point, pretty much everyone I work with has seen me show up, knows that I care about the value of the products that we create. I really care about the content that we're putting out and the quality of it and has seen me kind of, you know, give feedback on certain situations. Like if there's a unique customer situation, the SOPs we've established, like how we handle things from a point of integrity and constantly setting the highest bar that we can for ourselves. And that really trickles through. So they have the drive just personally from the day we hire them. But then because they're seeing everyone else and me continue to show up that way, it challenges them to continue to want to do their best as well. I love that. I love that. Now, what one of the things you said at the start is you got to that first million dollars using launches. I'm also a massive fan of the word evergreen, and I, th- I think you are as well. So uh, a lot of people get burnt out because they're in launch after launch after launch, and you were able to create a seven-figure evergreen funnel. So tell me about the strategy behind how that works. Yeah, so I love evergreen, honestly, but the thing is that there's a right time and place for it. I think there's a lot of advice out there nowadays that you should go evergreen and not do launches. And I completely disagree because my own experience was, I mean, this is quite a while ago in, in the online space, even a few years feels like a lifetime. When I started running my evergreen of courses, I remember people telling me, you can't sell a $2,000 course on evergreen. No one's done it. And you're not going to succeed. And I said, okay, well, let me try. <laughs> and the, the thing is, even at that point, having done seven figures in sales, having a, a, hundreds of testimonials, like really knowing my audience and how to communicate to them, it still took us about two and a half to three years and hundreds of thousands of dollars of testing to optimize that funnel. Nowadays, I feel like the process is a lot faster because there's so much proof. There's so many people who have the experience and able to help you. But at that time, I was kind of like figuring it all out. Really, no one really thought I could even do it. And so that being said, there's still a learning curve. You, if you go straight into Evergreen, you really have to nail, have your offer, your marketing, your copywriting, your audience targeting, everything really nailed down. And most people in the starting phases up to maybe six figures, maybe even low multiple six figures, don't really have that yet. And that's where the power of a launch comes in. You get to use your live communication and energy and the momentum of a launch to not, I don't, I don't want to say cover up, but kind of make up for those areas, those marketing and sales skills that you can work on while learning to be an entrepreneur and business owner. And so for me from the, I don't want to say day one, it wasn't day one, but relatively early on, I knew I wasn't going to be launching forever. I love launches, but like you said, there are a lot of time and energy and work and it's not like you do a launch and then you can't make sales anymore. And that's not, that's not best business practice, you know? And so for me, I knew for about the first like four or five years in this business, I did launches to grow my business. I was good at them to build my reputation and to bring in the revenue, the profits and the growth that would support me in setting up the evergreen systems. So I did that use that time, money, everything to set up the evergreen systems. And then after that, I moved away from the the launch strategy because I wanted to focus on other things. I wanted to focus on creating more courses, growing the business in different ways. But it was those first like four or five really big launches that paved the foundation for me to be able to do so. And so when you went evergreen, did you still use the same challenge model and make that evergreen or did you get a webinar? I did not. And that reason is because I love that we're talking about this. What works for a launch is not always what works for 
an evergreen funnel. The beauty of a live challenge is that people are so engaged, they're showing up. It's a huge component of what makes it work is the live component. So one of the first things we tried, because we thought, oh, it works so well live, of course it'll work well evergreen, was to put it on evergreen. And it had the lowest conversion rates you can imagine. I remember being so shocked. So what we did was we moved to a webinar funnel. We tightened, we took like our best performing launch emails and made them into a very tight, short funnel. We hit on the best points that we knew people responded to from our live launch data and condensed that into an evergreen funnel. Interesting. And so you were selling a $2,000 price point course. Was that then straight to an order page or are you actually like just selling a call to get a sales call? No, we don't do sales calls. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. And what was the reason for that? I didn't want to, and I didn't think people needed a sales call to buy a course. So I personally like to I believe that we attract a lot of people who are similar to us. And for me, if I want something, yes, I'm going to be smart about it. I'm going to do my research, but I don't need to talk to someone to make the decision. And I believe all our customers, you know, they're smart. <laughs> if they're ready, they're going to make the investment or they can email us and ask and get whatever they need. But also at the same time, at this point, especially given where I am in my business, I've got so much content online. I've got so much social proof. Like it's very easy nowadays, pretty much with any business that is even a little bit established, like pull up, okay, who's this person? What's their content? What are they about? Okay, do I believe this is the right program for me or not? And make that decision. And so I believe our customers have all the tools. And of course, if they have any other questions, they can email us, but it just streamlines the process and removes an unnecessary component, especially at the price point that my flagship courses are at. Yeah, I think a lot more people talk now about the shadow funnel. Um, of you know like what what is going <laughs> everything's a funnel um, so you know going around the internet and like what do you actually see about that person it, you say you've got hundreds of testimonials how did you how did you create create a culture of that was it was it people just coming in and saying hey I want to give you a testimonial or are you creating a system or a process that's actually great yeah on so this is another one of the reasons why I believe live launches are so good because what I've seen is that how people come in is how they engage in the program. So in other words, if someone comes in through a live challenge and they're really engaged, they, they're connecting with you personally, it's very different from someone coming in, for example, from like just an email or a video series, no matter how great, where they don't have that personal connection with you. And so in my first like five years, four or five years of doing those big launches live, people really, they got to speak to me, right? I was on live Facebook streams, uh, Facebook live streams in the Facebook group for the free challenge, really getting to know pretty much every student that came through the program. And so it created this culture inside the program where people wanted to be showing up in the Facebook group, asking questions, sharing their wins, helping each other every single day. And so it was very natural that they would be saying, hey, I got this win. And then either that post itself, they would share the details of how they got it. And I would use that as a testimonial. Or if I wanted to share more details, I would just reach out. And because everybody knew me, I was talking to people every day in the group. It was really natural. It wasn't like, hey, I, I don't care about you enough to support you, but I want to ask you for a testimonial now kind of feel. And so they, they were happy to get on a call with me and do an interview for a testimonial. Mm interesting that like you say you do an interview for a testimonial as well because you know then you can frame the testimonial out more of you get more details it, it also feels more real because the a potential client can watch a video versus just reading a kind of screenshot of a testimonial from facebook 
Mm, yeah, de- definitely. Um, so one question as well, Louisa, that we ask everyone who comes on the show is what do you want to be remembered for when you die? My gosh, that's, <laughs> that's a big one. Uh, you know, so I feel like I am just starting and there's so much that I want to be remembered for that I haven't done yet. I really want to show people what's possible when you lead with integrity and value and kind of go march by the beat of your own drum. I've, as we've talked about, like I launched my own way. I set up my business, my own way. I set up my funnels, my own way. And it seems crazy nowadays because all of these things are so common, but back when I was doing each of these things, no one else was doing them. People were telling me, you're crazy. Why don't you just do it the, the way that it's proven? And I didn't want to. And so I really want to let people know that's possible. I want to let people know you can dramatically change your own life and situation in all ways, um, not through get rich quick schemes or scams, but really providing massive value to the world and some other things, but I haven't started on those yet. I feel like this is, these are the things I've started setting the foundation for that I want to absolutely continue to grow for sure. What, what's on the big bucket list and that maybe you've not started on yet? I'm intrigued. Yeah. So personally, my background is in engineering and uh, very different from what I do now, but there are some tech contributions I want to put out into the world, maybe a new tech company that I want to create just already, even in this industry, I'm seeing so many gaps right, for technology, which is crazy in the time that we are in right now that could be improved. And so I really want to lead with that and really show, especially uh, young women that, you know, you can be in tech, you don't have to, um, you know, you can be yourself essentially, uh, and really set that example for a female leader in her feminine in the tech space. Because mm. you've got you've got a degree in robotics as well. Is that is that right? Uh, so technically I have a degree in electrical engineering and a minor in robotics. Okay. Like how, how has that helped you? Because naturally a lot of times people look at techie people, right. As the behind the scenes people, not the visionary, not the leader, more of the, 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 the technician, right. If you look at e-myth or things like that. So how was, how was those roles and that learning experience helped you as a leader? Yeah, so I think for me, the biggest thing my engineering and tech background has helped me with is to learn to see things in a really logical numbers way. I mean, we started off this conversation with that and where I love that we're bringing that back up again, because it's really taught me that when whenever there's an issue, it can be solved, right? It's not about you can't do it. You're not cut out for it. Yes, you have to work on your personal confidence and mindset, but pretty much every problem out there has been solved already by someone else. You just have to figure out what is the solution? How can I apply it to my specific situation? And a lot of that comes down to knowing the numbers, figuring out what's below the right benchmark, what's above, what you can optimize and improve. And really that mindset, I would say, is my biggest takeaway from my engineering days and applying it. I would say the other thing is the systematization of uh, my business. Really, I I love systems uh, and really applying that. But in terms of really learning to lead and be at the front, the face, uh, instead of kind of in the tech background that you're right. uh, So many engineers kind of feel like, okay, I have to be, or maybe this is my personality. I would say it was more kind of being forced into it. When I started this business, I definitely fit that stereotype. I was an introvert. I was not comfortable being on camera, talking to people. I thought I could just write some emails and, you know, hide behind my computer. 
And I quickly realized that's not how you connect with people. And so I had to learn. I had to learn to figure out how to connect with people while being an introvert, while not having kind of like that in your face personality and, and figure out my own strengths in terms of connecting with people. And through that, I became the version of myself that I am today. And I know I'll continue to grow. But uh, over the years, I've definitely seen that, yeah, as you do this, there's, I want to set that example for more and more, really all, all types of people, but especially people who are introverts who have that tech background and think, hey, I, I can't, I can't lead. I can't be like that because I'm this type of person. No, you can be whatever the heck you want. And all it takes is figuring out your strengths, not changing yourself, but figuring out how to make them work for you. Yeah. In fact, I think I was on a podcast the other day. We're talking about Strength Finder book. Have you, have you, have you yes. ever done the Strength Finder test? Yeah. What did you, um, can you remember any uh, top strengths? You know, this was years ago, but I remember, I think my top two or three uh, in my top two or three, number one was actually competitiveness. I think that's probably changed over the years, honestly. Um, but I remember, yeah, this is back in, I think, one of my first corporate jobs where we had to do that. So that was it back then. And then I believe like the analytical uh, piece was one of my top ones as well. Makes sense. <laughs> Especially coming yeah. from an engineering background. So Louisa, it's been great having you on the show. What is one quick win that people can use to amplify the business today? I would say the quickest win and the one that'll get you the biggest amplification is personal connections. And so it depends on where you are in your business, but if you are at around the six figure mark, low six figures, this is a great opportunity to be connecting with your audience. You're not, you know, your audience is most likely not so big that you can't sustain the volume and you should not be so busy that you don't have the time to do this. Plus it pays off. It's pretty much one of the best things that you can do. You know, reach out to people who are past clients, maybe ask them what they loved about your working with you or your programs, what they would like to see more of, maybe get some more testimonials, see if you can get some referrals, reach out to people in your existing audience, maybe open up your calendar to do some calls. They don't have to be long just to get to know your audience and see what learnings you can get, how well you can know your audience, you're always going to get some takeaways that you didn't realize before that are going to be massively beneficial. Maybe potentially talk to some people who've been wanting to talk to you and work with you. They just haven't taken that initiative yet. You never know where it's going to lead. Every time in the past I've done this, I've gotten amazing ahas, learnings about my audience, um, people who ended up buying from me and just, you never know where it's going to lead. I love it. That's fantastic. And what is a seven figure entrepreneur that you would nominate to be on the show next? Yeah, so I would nominate my good friend, Ron Reich, and he is an amazing launch strategist. He and I actually connected because I hired him as a consultant for one of my launches years ago to help me scale it up. And since then, we've just become really good friends, and he's a great guy and a brilliant marketer. Fantastic. And finally, it's been amazing having you on the show, and I appreciate you being so open about your numbers and your strategy and all, and all that stuff and really giving a lot of value to the audience so where can people find out more about you, Louisa, and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So there are a few places that are really great to connect with me. The first is I do have a great PDF for your listeners and for anyone who's interested on the top three mistakes that new course creators make. So if you're wanting to transition into courses or scale up your courses or group programs, learn more about the launch strategy that I personally use, the place to get it is at louisajoe.com slash mistakes. Let me spell my name out really quickly because it's not spelled how it sounds. It's uh, L-U-I-S-A, 
Z as in zebra, H-O-U.com slash mistakes. So you'll get that PDF and then you'll be able to, through that, join my email list and get lots of great emails from me. And then if you want to just reach out and let me know what takeaways you got from this podcast interview, what questions you have, I'd love to personally hear from you on my Instagram, send me a message. And my Instagram is louisa.joe. Fantastic. Uh, Louisa, it's been amazing having you on the show. You've been listening to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast with me, Paul Ace, and my amazing guest, Louisa Joe. Remember, amplify your business and amplify your life. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast. To access the show notes, episodes, and this month's giveaway, head over to www amplify to seven figures.com remember amplify your business amplify, amplify your, your life, life.